0: Because data is in a way undeniable. So if there is some decision on, you know, what thing would perform better and the client thinks one way and you think another, founding your perspective and offering your opinion based on something more than just your preference will go
1: so far. Welcome to WebFlail, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the greatest failures behind the greatest webflowers. Because success is built on foundations of failure. I'm your host, Jack Redley, a failure connoisseur, and today my guest is Corey Moen, senior brand designer at Webflow and digital lead at ShapeMaker Studio. In today's episode, we talk about failing to communicate with clients effectively, failing to get buy-in from your team, and failing to do website checks before hitting launch on projects. I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode. There are plenty of key learnings for young web flailers here. So embrace and learn from failure in episode eight of Web Flail with Corey Moen. It is an honor
0: to have you here, Corey. Hello. So stoked to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, thank you for coming on. It is great to have such such a famous guest in the Webflow <laughs> world. Let's start off with a little bit about you and how you got into Webflow.
0: So I got into, I'll, I'll go way back, even you know, into web design in general, back in college. So this is 10, 11 years ago. I actually went to school for more like print and business design. And then at some point had a computer science class elective in there that got me hooked into web and the ever evolving digital medium. And so from there, I tried to pursue that in roles after school, Um, worked for an industrial pump company as my first job out of college. (laughs) More on that later. Yeah, in that was doing more web design and then still doing projects on the side here and there and would try many different platforms, WordPress, Drupal, a little Squarespace here and there to help friends. And um, then at my previous full-time gig, it got to the point where I was so burned out on the just struggle and slow speed of building in those other platforms that I I, I whittled all the way down to just HTML, CSS, and JavaScript templates from ThemeForest. If if y'all like have heard of those Envato sites, and you know became pretty familiar with just even writing CSS and some of that. But the reality was that was still not sustainable because. It didn't have a CMS. And so in the role I was in doing that kind of work, uh, we went through a little bit of a research project to see what other tools may have arose and discovered Webflow in there. Forever my life was changed, as many have said in the community, because it was this perfect blend of you know that deep level of control as if I was scratch coding while also having a much more efficient workflow and CMS and interactions on top of it. And not having to worry about hosting and all that, it was just like, you know, the the clouds opened and the heavens rained. Uh, I'll never forget those days. Yeah, ever since then, um, you know, at some point, any freelance work I was doing, I decided I'll only do Webflow on the side because I just enjoy it so much. No more brand, like logo, that type of work that I was also doing on the side at the time. And then coming up on two years ago, by some miracle, I still feel like a groupie that joined the band. I joined the brand team at Webflow on their web team within the brand team. So we essentially just build things in Webflow for Webflow. Um, And so that's just been absolutely amazing. I am, I don't feel worthy and I'm incredibly grateful to work alongside everybody on that team. And then you also mentioned ShapeMaker is the team I work with on the side exclusively now for the last couple of years. And yeah, Alexander Diner, who runs that team, we met almost three years ago and and just have had a blast building all kinds of different web flow sites and brands and things for a variety of clients, usually in like the startup early space. And so, yeah, I kind of like lead the digital presence there in a limited capacity. It's still like, you know, I have two kids now and my time is precious.
1: So yeah, that's, that's, that's what, that's me. (laughs) Wow. What an overview there. And so... Obviously, you've got the full-time job at Webflow. Outside of that, I've heard you describe it as your main freelance gig. Yeah. <laughs> Digital lead at Shapemaker, and then you've got a family. How? Where? Where? How? Talk to us about what time yeah. you get up. Are you like... Mark Wahlberg type playing yeah, golf yeah. at 3 a.m. And then.
0: No, no. Okay. So I the I would say the best way that I manage it is with ShapeMaker. I'm on retainer and have been for a couple of years, but with a limited amount of hours per month. So usually it nets out to like an hour a day, but I don't do it that way. Usually it's like there will be two, three days where I don't work on much. And it's maybe just like at night of Slack message or two and then I'll take a day usually like weekends especially when my kiddos are napping or you know my my wife is out at the store or something like that that I'll get on and 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 work on some things for a couple hours at a time so I don't have any perfect system I am also very conscious of burnout I don't ever want to get to that point so for me like I, here's another way to look at it is back in the day actually when I found design in general all the way back in high school, I thought I wanted to be a pro gamer at one point. And then after kind of getting more in heavily into design in college, I just don't play video games anymore. And, and Webflow, it sounds super nerdy, but Webflow has become my video games. I genuinely enjoy just getting down and the strategy and depth and complexity that can come with building sites and so that's kind of also the way that I look at it is I just enjoy doing it you know so it's the thing I do in my spare time for fun as well as you know it helps (laughs) with a little extra income with kiddos and things so yeah
1: yeah definitely and I think when you enjoy it it doesn't feel like work I mean that's like the cheesiest cliche saying but I definitely think there's some truth to it if you if you truly love Webflow and my girlfriend always gets so annoyed when I work on the weekends because she, she defines it as work. And I'm like, I'm sure. not working. I'm just messing around. And she's like, you're on your laptop. And I'm like, I know. That's it. <laughs> anyway, luckily, she's not watching good. this episode, so we're all good. But do you have that type of conversation with your wife? And how do you navigate family and mm. work?
0: Yeah, but like I mean,
1: my wife and I are
0: constantly—I uh, would say—talking about this, in, in, in a healthy way. Like, we try to do our best to set boundaries, and also know that those boundaries aren't permanent. And, and a simple example is like I try to never be my, on my laptop when my kids are around. I just don't want them to like see me that way, you know. Like, I this is a silly example. I have I have nieces, uh, and I'll never forget like when my nieces were younger. One of them was at school. And there was something about they had to take this like quiz and say, like, what, you know, what do you think about with your parents or what, what do they do most? You know? and, then, and then hearing the response for my sister, I was like very blown away by like what they soak up and then assimilate down into you know, what their parents do has stuck with me a lot. So that's one of the boundaries I try to set. Again, nothing's perfect. Nothing's hard. Of course, my son's still seeing me on my laptop and it's not like this big evil thing. It's just we try to set those time frames and be respectful of them. And then like the other realities too, like when we have like tight project deadlines or we're going to launch a site with ShapeMaker, for example, I might have some later nights, you know, I might have some nights that I am up later and, you know, it might be a little bit more of a grind, but the point is that it need it's not consistent. It's not every day. It's not every week. It's an occasional thing. And she's super gracious and understanding of that. And and, I couldn't empathize more with what you said about just it is hard for them to get that it's it's just fun and i think the other realm that has stuck with me with that is like um so my my second child was just born in june so she's a little over 2 months old and so i was out on parental leave for most of the summer it, i it was the weirdest feeling because i was just so excited to get back into it like i just i genuinely love what i do and especially even coming from previous roles where of course, I loved the work, but not as always much the culture or teams that I was a part of. And it's just so different here on the team at Webflow as well as with ShapeMaker. Just I genuinely enjoy the people I work with and the type of work we get to do. So I'm always excited to, to get back in. So, yeah, it doesn't
1: it, it helps a lot. <laughs> Tell me about failure number one, because I feel like your failures have shaped your success last minute client changes that brought you to tears
0: yes yeah so this is first job and just to like paint a quick picture of the the kind of culture of wh- what i mentioned a pump company so the first uh place i worked actually as an intern while i was still in college and then joined full-time after graduating Was called viking pump here in iowa and they're owned by IX corporation which is a larger global corporation that owns all these industrial companies and when i first started as an intern i was like if, if y'all have seen Severance on Apple TV, Plus, it was like, I don't want to make it sound that aggressive. And it was like, I was in this room, like cutting out pictures and like formatting data sheets. And it was like, you know, in a way, kind of the lowest of lows for design, but you got to start somewhere. And I am so grateful for that experience of just like finding ways to work efficiently and, and that kind of stuff. And yeah. And so then as I became full-time, I got into and kind of rose my hand. I'm like, I really like designing sites. And we started doing more of those at that time. And we also started getting, like, a couple developers on the team. And, like, this was even an era where, like, I remember conversations of, like, should we start building sites responsibly or with a separate mobile site, which is, like, a thing at that time. At the same time as bringing on clients, the point is that we also had a lot of conversations about how we work and what we should or what way we should build things. And this is probably, like, the second or third major site we were going to launch. And it was for, again, kind of an industrial company. I felt like I had gotten a groove where I was like, you know, getting and feeling confident, more confident in my skills. And I was really excited about the final design direction for the site. And the developer I was working with, we became really good buds and just like, uh, he taught me a ton as well as in terms of like front end development and how he was executing thing I designed to the web. So we're in like literally a week out from launch. We're on a call with the client, um, myself, the developer and our creative director, And the situation was, you know, in Webflow or any website, you typically have a container, right? So like all the content of the site has a max width. So people might look at the website on a TV, which was this case. We were sharing our screen on a size of a TV. So there was all this space on each side because that is just an unrealistically large size that most users won't view a site at. And the client was just tripped out and felt like that was too much white space and at least wanted the nav bar, which was like a separate box at the top from the body of the page. He wanted that to go all the way full width, um, even if it didn't match the width of the body. And what that ended up doing is that even on desktop size, it would go full width and all the links were either on the right or on the left. And so the body only had a max width of, I don't know, back in that, time was like very common for them to be more narrow. So it was probably like 1080 or something like that. And so you look straight up from the body and there's just nothing, it was just empty, empty space between the links on each side. And I got very emotional in that meeting and I had to like walk out during the meeting because i was like i was literally gonna cry like i was just like so frustrated that he didn't understand how this was going to be detrimental to the experience and the aesthetic of what i've worked countless hours to create and uh i remember after that too then my creative director who is just awesome and also definitely a mentor for me at that time we had a good conversation about like at the end of the day it's just a site he is our client We are getting paid and doing what they want to a point like we are definitely still the experts, but like they're ultimately have a lot of weight in in decisions. And so we'll do it. And we can also always test and, you know, revert later. And I, that, that situation has held with me all these years because of just like, it still happens today. Like we, you know, whether it's internally on teams and marketing teams I work with like at Webflow or in my previous role. Or, you know, with freelance clients, like there's gonna be decisions that are just awkward and as a designer we know it's not the right one, or we feel it's not the right one, but like sometimes you just need to pick your battles, as they say, and 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 not take it too seriously, right? Like I have a I have a little placard thing on my desk at home um that says give a damn on it. And I always think about that because like On the flip side, like I I would say of designers and people I work with, it's also super important to care. Like, I think a lot can come out of like attention to detail and things if you're just like really into what you do, but you don't want to go too far with that, right? Like you need to be cautious about giving two dams really, right? Like, so I think that's the borderline of always trying to find, you know, how much intention and purpose and knowing when it's okay to just let go. And life goes on and it's just a website, right? That that was the first one.
1: <laughs> okay. So yeah. for anyone who might be starting out in their career, it's quite hard to know when to not give a damn, as it were, to just be like, you know what? I am mm. not my work. I'm getting mm. paid by the client to do this. They say they want an expert to do the job, but clearly they're not taking my advice. Mm-hmm. When do you think there's a point to just let go and accept yeah. the client is the client and that's that? Mm.
0: The first things that come to mind is first, remember the medium that you're working it with and the tools that you have because of it before you even get into the conversation. So an example is, first of all, one of the reasons I love digital is that you can change it, right? Like, you know, if anybody early or in their career has been in print design, you roll out 10,000 brochures off of press, there's no making a copy change. You know, once it's done, it's done. Thankfully, we work in a medium that like the client, you know, may not have the best interest or it may not be the right decision, but you can always launch and you can always change it later is the beauty of it, right? And then the other end of that is because it's digital, everything can be tracked and we can build a objective perspective on what is right and wrong through data. This is again, one of those things that you might not always have that resource, but it's a reason why you should try to make a best practice of always at least having something like Google Analytics or whatever on any project you work on, because data is in a way undeniable. So if there is some decision on, you know, what thing would perform better and the client thinks one way and you think another founding your perspective and offering your opinion based on something more than just your preference will go so far. And so to your question, how to see that line, I think that is one way I try to think about it is if I have done my best to present data or any objective point of view that would lean towards one Way that I think it should be, and the client still doesn't want to. The client or stakeholder or whoever you're with, they still don't. They they look right past it and only see their perspective. That is one good flag of just like let it go, because you know clearly they're so prioritized on on what they want and not what is best for the site or the brand or the the business. Then then that's one one indicator of just like it's not worth the fight. And you can always come back later when maybe emotions have settled. I think beyond that, again, it's just like, even picking your battles, like, I think that's another thing that something I guess that comes to mind, it's silly, like, you know, you don't need to make a tally of like, okay, won this, lost this, won this, but like, I think that's something else to be cognizant of is if there has been multiple friction points in the relationship, you know, if you've already had some that they've trusted your decision and direction when there's been, you know, conflict, then maybe it's time to also again just like let it go and you know let them have one kind of thing like and again i don't mean to say that because at the end of the day like i can't speak highly enough for how much better of an experience and end product you will have by having a really good relationship with stakeholders and clients like the better that relationship the more you are like willing to be real and transparent And caring and respectful the better the product will be i can guarantee it every time at least in my experience over the years so
1: far yeah that's great feedback and i would second the the point that you made in the middle there about asking the client what their business goals are because often you can circle back you know away from emotions by looking at the objective goal that they initially set out for the project to even exist in the first place, whether that's a design or a redesign, just say, how does having, you know, a pink flying bird going through the screen help with the business goal? Right, And that just completely takes away the emotion from I'm the client I'm paying you, you know, pixel push for me. So mm. yeah, I would, I would definitely second that and making sure that the business goals are the thing that you are measuring rather than egos tell me about failure number two failing to get buy-in on your idea Mm.
0: yeah so I think this is something I still candidly am working on as a designer as a professional in general like I think I found through this experience how critically valuable this is in so many scenarios so yeah the scenario was um, my the past place I worked full-time was a company called ITA Group. I was there almost seven years as a digital designer and kind of helped start a digital experience team there. And by the time I left, yeah, we, we had gotten to the point in our small digital team that we were starting to come up with our own projects and our own ideas to drive value and ultimately revenue from client work. And so... I guess even some of the context too would help is that company was an incentive and events company. So our clients would be a lot of like larger businesses, fortune 500 type things that have a sales team and they want to incentivize their sales team that if they sell X, they get Y, right? So Y might be points they can redeem to buy products. It might be a trip. It might be attending some big conference, et cetera. And so in that, a lot of what I worked on was like microsites, event sites. Uh, We also had our own like incentive platform and they would log in and see points they burned and all that. And so we did a lot of prototyping and design work for that. One of the struggles we had oftentimes was we would also create a unique brand for these events or conferences or whatever, or programs for these clients. And once the branding was set and we would even maybe build some brand guidelines and start building deliverables like brochures and sites and things, it was hard to like keep track of where everything was, especially the clients would also often ask like, you know, what was this again? Or I, I lost that email where you sent it, whatever. So our digital team had the idea to build this kind of like customer brand portal um, where, you know, they could log in, they could see all the programs or brands we've built for them and then see all the deliverables, the brand guidelines, fonts, et cetera. So, you know, like any good no-coder these days, we're going to build it in Webflow. Uh, and so, yeah, we built this prototype and I mean, not even really prototype, fully functional with member stack and Webflow, kind of had it ready to go. I had one of our first client projects built into it. And then we were to the point of really needing to get, again, buy-in from other teams like our creative directors and other designers that were executing some of these brands and project managers, as well as like outside of our department, which was kind of operated like an agency outside of our department into like account management and other things that have contact with clients frequently and therefore would be a steward of this product, right? They would be the one that would remind the client, you know, use it as a resource to, you know, kind of like mediate between the client and, and us. And so that was, yeah, that's what, where essentially I I was so excited because for me, I was like, this is undeniable in value. Like it's so easy to use. It's, it's just great. And we can charge for this as an added differentiating feature that we can sell to clients and things. But when it came to like presenting the idea to other teams and things, I just like, I honestly sucked at it. (laughs) Like, I think I made a deck, you know, and cause especially that was more of a corporate environment. So everybody had a deck for something you know, like a presentation, Google Slides or PowerPoint at that point, everything Microsoft. And I think I had, I struggled with like communicating the difference between the perspective and value gained from the client and differentiating the value gained from our internal team. Right. So like our internal team, the value was, you know, they saved time and it was easy to have the one go-to resource and all that. But then they would quickly get caught up in all the details of like, wait, but like, we're gonna to have to spend more time adding things to this portal and generating the resources for the preview images and things like that. And so, like, if that makes sense, you know, is is too easy for people to get tripped up on the logistics to to move past that to the value and even an opportunity to just start trying to use it. So then I think the, the other end of it was just like documenting how to use it. I I definitely wrote a, a good amount of documentation, but all this was happening amidst when I ended up leaving and and going to Webflow. And so I've always been heartbroken and felt like it was a failure because also when I left, then I've stayed in touch with some people there. And I think the project did fail, you know, like it never took off because then I was kind of the one championing it and then left and no one was able to pick that up or had maybe even enough resources that I should have provided so that they could see it through to keep being used. So yeah, I don't know. Again, I think the lesson learned was no product whether you're releasing it to the public you're releasing it within your company it's only as good as you can convince people of it being good <laughs> you know what i mean if that makes sense like it's and and it seems so obvious and so easy but sometimes it's one it's a very humbling thing to try to remove and and be very empathetic about other people's outlook and perspective on what what's valuable Um, and move beyond your own to do that. Um, Yeah, I'm still figuring out
1: how to do that. So (laughs) I think part of the problem is we get so caught up in our thing. Mm. I have this. Well, I have this with this podcast, right? I have a newsletter and I'm pouring so much energy into, you know, doing episodes and, you know, editing and then making this newsletter. And I'm like, guys, this is great, isn't it? And people are like, yeah, it's cool or whatever. And you're not Even like family, I'm like sending this to my mom, and you know, my mom's not the target (laughs) audience, and I'm still like, my mom is my champion, and she's just like, I don't get it. And I'm just like, man. So I think, you know, we put so much time into making the actual product or whatever that thing is, and then sometimes Mm. we forget that maybe 50% of your time should be in some kind of distribution or marketing strategy. Like if 50% of your time is going into the product, then 50% of your time should be kind of focusing on thinking about how people are actually going to receive this. And I have definitely been guilty of this. I'm still guilty Mm. of this right now. You know, I'm Mm. kind of like so focused on the actual designing the product and making that thing good. Than just thinking that will carry itself. Oftentimes it hasn't for me. What would you, I mean, in terms of your learnings, it, it sounds like you're still working this out, but if you had to go back in time to this portal, how would you go about this again? Yeah,
0: I think two things come to mind. One is timing. And then the other is a little bit related to the first comments about just finding objective data in this realm the data would have been client testimonials or or things like that that if i had the opportunity or could have found a way to ask clients like hey would would this kind of thing be helpful like this is what we're thinking about getting their direct feedback and then using that as kind of ammunition if you will right to bring back to the team to just show that we're not just thinking this up this is something that we've validated in some way with clients first, that would have been, I think that's, that was a missing piece of those presentations. And then timing that I mentioned, I think is about how the timing of getting buy-in even before you started working while you're working and after, right? So if I remember right, like a lot of this was, I thought this is it, this is, this is a great idea. So we're just going to go build it and then we'll show them the value when it's done and ready. And I do think, I mean, that's a lot of the value of no code is that you can build things so quickly or so much quicker uh, that you can have visible functional MVPs ready to go to get buy-in. However, the risk of going too deep too quickly is that like there might be some functions or features of it that you thought were great that once you start getting buy-in from others, that is again a tripping point for them because they would have thought to do it differently. And so the point is that like, I think I would have maybe like done a little bit lighter conceptual you know, mock-ups, visuals, things like that before I fully started building and then started having meetings and presentations even then before I was all the way into it to kind of like, you know, lead people into the water, if you will, right? Instead of just like dumping a bucket on their head of the product. But yeah, I I think that would have been a big learning lesson. And like, I think there's even caution in that, like something relative, there's a project internally at Webflow that I've been really excited about right now. And um, I think we've almost done the opposite where we've done so much initial concepting, research, brainstorming, ideation, and again, meetings and and some presentations to other teams without getting some practical, like visible function and prototyping in place that now we're almost, we're the opposite end of it, if it makes sense, where we're kind of starting to spin our wheels. We haven't got enough traction to keep that train moving versus this, pro- this fail I was re- referencing at ITA Group was the opposite. Is like, you know, I went all in and put all my cards on the table hoping it would hit and it didn't. So it's just a balance like all things in life. Too much of a good thing isn't always a good thing and you need to take it in strides.
1: And I think off the back of your comment there, for mm-hmm. any freelancers that are just working with single clients, I think leading the client by the hand and showing bit by bit stuff before being like, I've developed you know, this page and it's in Webflow and it's interactive and you can see it because even if it's exactly what they want, they might just feel like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like I mm. haven't had a chance to express my opinion about my mm. website or whatever. Mm. And there is an element of pouring the bucket on your head, it might seem like you're leading them to this beautiful lake. And it's like, over here. but actually (laughs) you are kind of just pouring a bucket on their head and you didn't even perceive it as that because Mm. you're like, I'm being really helpful. Look at this amazing thing I've made for you. And actually they're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, too far. (laughs) Tell me about failure number three, failing Mm. to remove a meta no index tag. This doesn't seem (laughs) like the biggest failure, but yeah. tell us the story.
0: So I wanted to include
1: this one because I think like the biggest thing
0: I've learned, especially since being on the team at Webflow, where again, I feel like, I feel small that we, you know, we, a lot of the designers on the team had just been around, worked at amazing companies with amazing teams and brands and agencies. And you realize at the end of the day, we're all human, no matter how much experience anybody has in any industry, we all are human. We all make mistakes. No one's perfect. And this was again, one of those times very recently where I realized like you always have to stay in check. You cannot get too confident in your skills and abilities and attention to detail that you just start skipping process, right? Process is key. And so, yes, what this scenario was, was one of our clients, um, At ShapeMaker, we have had an amazing relationship with, and they have been one of my favorite examples of the value of Webflow because we have rebuilt their homepage four or five times now in a little over a year for the sake of iteration. Nothing was broken or wrong. We were just like learning and and iterating. And learning and iterating is like so powerful how quickly we could move and add value for them. At the same time, when you move quick, you know, it's all the more risk of missing things if you don't have kind of ironclad processes and checks and balances along the way. And so, yeah, I, I kind of typically when we're building a new page or a duplicate of a page in Webflow, you know, we'll like duplicate it, set it to draft. And then once we get into a review stage, we'll add a meta no index so that Google doesn't index. It's really like a double safeguard because we're really only publishing to the like subdomain, you know, .io link for review um so that's not indexed anyways but just like we've had situation just in case it would happen to go live we want to make sure Google doesn't index it and so I I think the timing was you know right around early June where I was about to go out on leave and you know so just again getting things done quickly moving quick we push the site live or push the new page live and in that final process I missed (laughs) removing that that meta tag in the page setting custom code and somebody had caught it thankfully you know a few weeks later but when it was caught you know i just felt like my whole stomach stomach sank you know because again i just you know i've been building sites for 10 plus years like i should know this stuff like what am i doing but then the other part was like remember that like this is why we have processes. This is why we communicate. This is why teams and things are good. And that it, no matter how long you're in this, like you've got to have some form of QA. Uh, and yeah, I know at ShapeMaker, we're still kind of like, we, we definitely have a process, but we're still refining it and making sure that it's always hit every time. Like we have a project manager on the team now, which has been absolutely amazing to help us make sure we always knock out those milestones. And likewise, like on the team at Webflow as well, we're trying to get into a better cadence of QA for this kind of stuff that like might seem small, but like, you know, a homepage of a site not being indexed by Google, or in other words, not being showing up in Google results for a period of time, you know, ultimately like it's still a small percentage of their site and overall indexing value. So it wasn't like catastrophic by any means, but on the surface, the homepage is, you know, typically the most common and popular page. And so it felt like a bigger deal than it maybe was. And so, yeah, I don't know. Again, that one will stick with me.
1: I saw one of your uh, recent tweets when you said one of the most underrated, undervalued skills that freelancers can have is documentation. Mm documenting your work and making sure that you have systems and processes in place Mm. i guess you have quite a stringent process uh before hitting publish on a website Mm. can you tell us a little bit about that and what you know what most webflowers maybe don't have in their process Mm. that they should yeah i mean
0: again to be transparent Definitely not a perfect process. It's always evolving. Right now, our current state of things is, you know, we use Notion for all things at ShapeMaker, project management, task management, documentation, etc. Um, we've tried many other tools in the past as well. I've, I've been a Notion nerd for uh, a few years, and so I love it. But yes, our current phase is a checklist in Notion. Uh that is actually based somebody else built the one we're using now and had made it public in the community. And I was like, this is so great, because ours before was much more basic. Uh and so it's like goes by each, you know, you add each page to a table, and then it's like, what? Is, you know, are you checking it for responsive? Are you checking settings, uh, custom code, forms, etc.? Um, and, and just kind of like knocking that out each time. Again, there's definitely been pages that are a rush and that gets skipped but that is our approach to always make sure to to do that. And then the other side of it is cross-checking work. So we have one other um, person uh, named Aaron Romero, love him, Uh, also in the Webflow community and he is our full-time Webflow dev. So like I said, I am like very limited amount of hours per month. I will help, uh, help him and support him with any more complex parts of builds and then kind of double check his work. Likewise, you know, he might be in checking mine all the way up to like Alexander who runs the studio. You know, he was building Webflow sites on his own before we met. And so he's also versed and helps with proofing things. And so I think that's another thing we've learned a lot of not only in like the checks and balances of like making sure things aren't broken, but I know something we're trying to instill more on the team at Webflow is like cross-checking work because you learn a ton. You know, like it's, it's the same thing, I think in the community, a lot of us have hopefully, especially newer in the community, one of the best ways to learn is just like go to the template marketplace or the showcase made in Webflow and look at projects, you know, where you can view it in Webflow and see how other people built things. And it's just like, you can learn so much from that as well as again, you know, like it's a great thing to do as a form of proofing, uh, you know, or QA before you launch pages.
1: Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about your offboarding process? Because I think this mm. is quite an interesting part. Obviously, mm. there's a QA checklist. Mm-hmm. Then the client receives the project.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you offer retainers? Do yeah, you yeah. recommend against that? Do you go and give them a hug? What <laughs> is the offboarding process? Uh, i had been really intrigued to, to know that.
0: At ShapeMaker, we love retainers. Like We, we feel that... The most value that we can offer, as well as the best benefit for the client is for us to still support a site after it goes live. Uh, and so we have like varying levels of retainers that it's anything from like basic, you know, web flow maintenance of like, it, you know, if you need something built or if there's a bug, we'll fix it. All the way up to, you know, full on, like we'll continue to do campaigns and things like that at a larger scale each month. And sometimes, like I would say how documentation plays into that, we love Loom, uh, as many do anymore, as an, as an easy way to just like do a recording. So we'll like, especially some of our projects that are maybe more complex on the CMS end, we'll walk through, all right, here's each collection, how they're structured, wh- where you find them on the site, you know, how things view and show and hide and things like that. As well as you know, trying to start capturing documentation in the form of resources. So something we're working on still is we would love to have, ironically, kind of like that ITA group project, like a client portal. You know, like a place that they can always come back and visit and get brand assets and things like that that we've created. So we're still kind of in the works on that. But typically we. Until that's ready, you know, we use like Slack a lot as well. We always use to have a channel directly with clients. And so we'll like pin resources and things um, in that uh, as a means to just have some documented progress and things that we've done. Otherwise, if we do have clients that do not want to be on a retainer and we're passing off the project, again, I would say a lot of it comes down to like Loom videos and any kind of documents we can send their way. Like usually that's in the form of like Google doc or something that is not necessarily tied to us that they could duplicate and have for themselves. Um, And then I think like the last thing I'd say about this topic in general is we have, I would say like over half of the sites we've done, it's super common for early on, you know, clients would be like, we want full designer access. We wanna be able to customize everything. And then when it comes down to actually like getting closer to build, showing them how that's done, and they're like, yeah, I think editor will be fine. You know, and so like, I think right now also we prefer to keep the project on our team account, add them as an editor, because usually that's more than enough access for them to do what they want to do. Or, you know, like hopefully we we do have some will transfer to their uh, team account, but then we usually ask for a seat so that we can still get access to support. And honestly, like, I hope that there's a day where even that workflow is a little bit more streamlined within the web flow kind of ecosystem and dashboard.
1: We have some community questions. This is the community quickfire round. Love Um, it. So you don't need to answer, you know, within a minute or anything. But the idea is that we get through a lot of different topics in a Mm. kind of quickfire setting. So Mm. are you ready? Let's do it. All right, let's go. What's the skill you wish you had mastered but haven't? Hmm. Man, this is a tough one,
0: because I think there's both what comes to mind is soft and hard skills in a way. Right. So I would say the first thing that comes to mind is soft skills is communication in terms of, and that's very broad, I know, but like speaking and also like timing and, and communication with teammates and clients is, is a nuanced and, and really challenging thing. And I wish I would have recognized earlier how valuable it can be to start, you know, working on it, reading things to learn more taking courses whatever that is earlier i feel like i'm finally getting to the point now seeing that value that i do actively look for ways on like how can i be a better communicator be transparent be clear and and just ultimately be more efficient in my communication on the hard skills and javascript uh (laughs) for sure like again broad but i think uh even before Before I discovered Webflow JavaScript always kind of scared me and I always have put it like I know enough to be dangerous in other words like I can kind of work my way around and understand and read it and like maybe make some changes that hopefully won't break something but it might break something Uh, whereas now like I definitely feel quite a bit more confident these days but I still don't feel like an expert enough that I could sit down and just like you need to do this oh yeah sure I'll just like you know drink my coffee while writing and and just bang out this code real quick like definitely still relying on google searching and all that kind of stuff so yeah i would say those are my
1: two things that come to mind <laughs> great. and do you have any industries that you want to attract or avoid for client projects or it doesn't matter uh, as long communication is great this is from ben selinsky
0: yo uh yes so uh in my spare time i would say there's definitely one that i want to attract and and to get right to it it would be like automotive or marine. I, I don't want to stereotype designers, but typically it's a more artistry relevant field. So I've you know, i met many designers over the years and the spare time they love to like paint or draw or whatever, not me. Like I love cars, I grew up wrenching on things. So if I'm not with family, as you we talked about earlier, I don't have a ton of spare time, but like there are times where like, if I have a choice of something to do, I love being out in the garage, wrenching on my car. I grew up around like water skiing, small old rickety boats nothing fancy so we have a a little ski boat and so I love working on that and so I I love it so much that I would love to just do stuff in that industry like to the point that ironically I had this thought of just like a couple weeks ago before I was back to full-time work I was like I wonder like what just as an experiment like spin up a quick little fake agency site that was like only targeting like marine websites because it's one of those things that you are passionate about an industry. And sometimes you realize that web design is terrible in that industry and Marine <laughs> happens to be one of them. And so I've always had this thought, it's like, I wonder how much traction I could ever get. And even just if it was like to get leads that then I would bring to shape maker ultimately. Cause I'm, again, I don't really take things on solo anymore. Um, but yeah, that's, I guess the, the TLDR I would love to work in one of those industries more.
1: Any clients that you want to avoid?
0: Um, I don't not, No, not necessarily. I, I guess I would say like, one that I bled close to was politics. So actually, the first project that Alexander and I worked on at ShapeMaker was a, a website called unite America, I think it's.org. And it is thankfully in the US, you may have heard we have very uh, polarizing political opinions. Uh, to which I have no very polarizing thoughts aside from I don't like the drama of it. And so thankfully that org was very bipartisan and they're kind of middle of the road, just wanted to do the right thing, loved it. But I would say there was times that I was like, yeah, I I just don't think I would ever want to like have this be a niche I serve because it's like, it's just one of those industries that like you question some of the decisions and are you doing it for the right reasons? And like, I just, maybe that's a way to generalize it is I don't have an interest in working with industries that are, uh, yeah, in it for the sole purpose of like, you know, trying to sway and take advantage and things like that. Like, I just love working for clients that are trying to do something that genuinely feels like it's making people's lives better. Um, You know, even as nerdy as car and boats, you know, making their lives better in like other ways and enjoying or whatever right um yeah
1: yeah and should you niche as a designer
0: yeah this is i i would say I go back and forth on this one quite a lot it depends um i think yes if you are very experienced or knowledgeable of a field already so that, that you can offer value or you can offer perspective beyond just a, as a designer so maybe even talking about that example i love automotive type things. I'm just kind of a nerd for that field. And so I have some experience and knowledge of mechanics and things like that. So I feel like a niche could be interesting. If I did want to go solo, I would probably pursue that just because like, I feel like I have more to offer than the average designer in that realm. So that being said, if you don't, then I think it's okay to also be general, right? Like shape maker, for example, like our only niche really is that we work with early stage companies, right? Like we don't, niche to a specific industry by any means and so the benefit of that has been that we get to work on a variety of things anything from like a custom ski shop in utah to a new internet service provider on the west coast to again i mentioned the like bipartisan political or we have like a a, like housing startup um so it's like a wide variety and and our specialty or niche lies in helping them grow from nothing to something um, so I think that's maybe even one of the misnomers in niche that I, I, I see a lot is that people assume niche means I need to pick food or 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 healthcare or whatever. Like it doesn't always. It's not always that. It could be vertical. You know, it could be vertical instead of horizontal. For example.
1: Yeah, and niching by platform as well is you don't need to niche by as well. industry or you know outcome. You can just niche so by true. When do you think you are good enough to be able to take up client projects as a beginner? From Isaac Divine, what a name!
0: Yo, I would say just start. I would say at least from what, where, like pre Webflow. Um, one of the first sites I built was in college in Flash, using an Adobe. Uh, what was it called? Now, I'm, now I can't remember. The point was that like I felt confident enough as a beginner solely because I had built one other site. For a class in school (laughs) where like I knew enough I felt like of how the web worked and one way to do it that I was then willing to take the risk of learning another way and try and I can't speak highly enough for just that fact of trying like it's especially today where I love that you can learn so much on YouTube and all that but like you can get stuck in this spiral of tutorials and not feeling like you know enough yet that like you will learn so much more by just doing And so I would say, you know, especially if you can find one of those early clients of either it is a friend, family, someone you know that is willing to take the risk of you might take longer because you don't know or there might be something buggy. That's okay. Like get in and do it. And, you know, like it's the whole thing of moving beyond your comfort zone will take you further than you can with staying in it. So go for it.
1: Right. And I think the more you get into the YouTube wormhole, the more you realize you don't know. Like the more you... The more you know, the more you realize you don't know and you're like, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to do this. Yeah. And actually, you know so much more than your client after Mm. an hour on YouTube, frankly. So true, Uh, yeah. No disrespect to some clients that I've worked with, I hope you're not watching. (laughs) Uh, Do you enjoy ShapeMaker work or Webflow, working for Webflow more? Oh, spicy questions. Spicy. So,
0: (laughs) yeah, I mean, even if alexander my homie was sitting next to me we were real like about everything so like candidly i would say webflow uh and and one of the reasons i was eager to leave my previous job in general was i was burned out on agency work full time uh you know like to put it bluntly you kind of live and die by the client you know and and that usually leads to just like really tight deadlines and and working unexpectedly late and all that, whereas on an in-house team like at Webflow, our clients are, for the most part, our internal teammates. And so we share the same culture and outlook and priorities and perspective as a company. So generally, the stress or, or buy-in is just a very different vibe. And I love it uh, so much. And the thing that has kept me still working with ShapeMaker specifically or even client type agency work on the side is because of how ShapeMaker specifically does things differently and typically prioritizes respect and professional relationships with clients so that we don't get burned out, so that we don't have these realistic, unrealistic deadlines, et cetera, that are somewhat typical in the agency space. So, yeah, if I had to be real, like, I would pick in-house over agency. Uh, and if you're going to do agency, just, yeah, just, you know, maybe explore ways to make sure you don't get burned. Yeah, that which can happen, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, And I can attest to that as well. Working for different agencies, you learn that there is a very, very different, you know, there's a spectrum of agency work, right? That yes. Not every, not every agency needs to treat you like shit. Remember that. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah. What is the one piece of advice you would give a Webflow freelancer starting out?
0: Mm. I, I would say the one thing is to as quickly as you can understand the deeper meaning of what Webflow is based on, what you're creating in Webflow is HTML and CSS, right? And so understand maybe even through like, you know, W3 schools, sites like that, like how does HTML and CSS work? And then how does Webflow let you work with it? The benefit of this is that especially when it comes to challenges, something you don't know how to do, I think something I don't see or I see in the community is that like people will get stuck and they can't find how to do something because all they look at is Twitter, Facebook, and the forums. And if somebody hasn't happened to have that same issue, then it's a pretty narrow, when you think about the grand scheme of the web, it's a pretty narrow audience that you're searching through. However, if you realize that like it's just a, something I could solve with CSS, then you can Google CSS plus how do I do this thing? And you, you will find thousands of Stack Overflow articles and things with solutions that you can apply to Webflow. You just need to understand that connection between how you do and manipulate CSS and HTML in Webflow. And how it's similar to doing it in code, if that makes sense. So like, you don't need to fully learn all the ins and outs of code in terms of like, you know, building projects and deploying to servers and all that stuff that Webflow completely abstracts for you. But you do need to understand how those things kind of work and react to each other. And it will just, I, in my opinion, it's, it's a catalyst for learning the product. And then of course, like we just mentioned, the other thing would be like, just start, like start building real projects. Don't get tripped up
1: in tutorials for too long which webflowers are not getting recognized that should be?
0: Oh, so many. Uh, I I mean, just speaking off off recent, like I I know I retweeted yesterday, Tony Seats is somebody um, that I have had a few conversations with and like, I just, I think, you know, I I had tweeted also recently of just like, you know, sometimes people ask like, what do you look for in in a good webflow developer? And sometimes it's like the things like attention to detail like drive and and willingness to take the initiative to figure out a problem that you may not know instead of just like shying away from it and saying it can't be done like those are the things that i often am am intrigued by and wish that like the people that are actively doing those could be in the light a little bit more um and so sorry i'm like the worst person with names in general like i'm lucky to wake up and remember my kids names (laughs) every day so i'm sure there's so many people i'm missing but I, that's, that's the way I would approach it is like, look for those people that are making things that are really thinking about like the underlying details. Like, actually, sorry, here's another one that just comes to mind. I did a Twitter space with Matthias. Uh, I think it, Master Flowmaker, I think is maybe like his like alias he goes by. Incredible how in-depth he thinks about things like, you know, how to build a webflow and why we should build that way. Um is just yeah, it's just like it matters a lot, right? Um, even another spectrum that I think we haven't gotten enough into. Morel Morelli Morella, um who advocates for, for um accessibility stuff a lot in the web community, specifically on Twitter. She is also great and, and somebody I'm always excited to see post and just again advocate for that kind of stuff that matters a lot and candidly is a major differentiator for us as freelancers and agencies competing with other agencies, not building a webflow and not prioritizing accessibility. Like you can make pretty accessible websites in webflow. Um, and and that is again, a differentiator. So like take advantage of that. And and yeah, I think those are the people doing that, that stand out to me.
1: Final question for you. What is your next failure going to be?
0: Mm. Yo, I mean, gosh, Pro- I mean one of them comes is like you you have acknowledged at the very beginning, my time, yo, is like it is something that is fragile, and I really hope that won't be my next failure of like getting a little bit too tempted to do this thing or that thing or the other that it goes over that edge of, yeah, just like over committing or burning out. Um, but honestly, that's one of them that comes to mind that I'm like everyday cognizant of like don't fail at this, basically. Other than that, like I, I think like more specifically on project end, uh, in the realm of temptation. I if, if any of y'all uh, have seen, I mean, go to my 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 portfolio, you scroll to the bottom, don't look at any of the other stuff, it's all not worth <laughs> worth it. But there's some resources there, like a code snippet library, a made a webflow library, and a webflow resource library that I have just naturally added to Notion for the last three or four years. And selfishly, like, if I'm super real, especially the code snippets, those are things I I wrote or found used in a project. And I didn't want to forget about them. So I saved them there. I have wanted to make these things public or more, at least Google indexable, right? Like on my portfolio or another site for a long time for the sake of other people finding them and benefiting from them outside of, again, digging through forums and all that. And so, We'll see if that ends up being an epic failure and where that ends up happening, whether it's with Shapemaker, Solo, Webflow, I don't know. Still working through that, but
1: yeah, that's that's the other one that I would say is at risk. <laughs> Thanks for listening to episode eight of Webflare with Corey Moen. As we see from this episode, even at Corey's level, he's not perfect. I find it humbling that despite having worked with clients for over a decade, he's still trying to work out how to communicate as effectively as possible with clients, manage his time well, and get buy-in from his team. I think the lesson from this is that even when you are so good at Webflow, that Webflow wants to hire you, failures and mistakes still happen. You are constantly learning from failures. So instead of beating yourself up when failures happen, ask yourself what you can learn from them just like Corey has. If you want inspiration, business advice, and Webflow jobs, direct your inbox, sign up for the Webflow Roundup at webflow.com. This is a weekly newsletter designed for you to take your Webflow freelancing to the next level. I hope it helps. Next week, I'll be interviewing Felix Means, founder of Webflix Studio. Join us at 5 p.m. DST on YouTube next Thursday to talk about some epic failures from Felix's career until next week, web playlist.